you remain standing with me and pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your kindness to us this day, this opportunity to come together and hear from you. Lord, we thank you for the words that have already been spoken. Uh, Lord, would you, would you come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and move among us? Would you speak to our hearts, God, for those this morning who are bruised and beaten down? God, would you uh, help them hear the good news of the gospel this morning? to not dwell upon themselves, but to look to you and find comfort and rest. And God, for those who are stubborn and hard-hearted this morning, God, would you help them not to uh, find hope and strength in their pride and in themselves, but to look to you, God, and find rest this morning. God, in all these things, we ask that you would speak mightily. God, that you would be the one who speaks in our time of need. God, that you would give us the words to say even now, this morning. And God, we will be careful to give you all the glory and the praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, firstly, I, I just want to say thank you to our church family here at Christ Church. You guys have been very kind to us over the last six months, and so uh, I don't feel uncomfortable up here uh, except for just me being awkward, so that's good. You guys are so kind and so loving to us. You guys have been warm very warm to us, even as uh, our South Texas acclimation is being tested right now this morning. And so thank you guys for loving on our family. And I want to say thank you to Father Ben again uh, for, for allowing me to preach this week after the election on the apocalypse. Yeah, so uh, we're going we're gonna to be talking about the end times this morning. And uh, I... Man, that, that is hilarious. I'm telling you, that is hilarious. Uh, that was set forth, by the way, that was set forth in 1979 when they set out these readings week to week. And this, this sermon text was for this morning, for us today. And so uh, I, I want to begin by asking this question. Is anyone stressed out this morning? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, does, does anyone here remember what it was like to not be stressed out? That, that is, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't really remember that. When, when life was all climbing trees and throwing stuff and trying not to break things, uh, that was the life. Uh, maybe this morning, you're trying not to psych yourself out. You're, you're saying, don't think about my to-do list. Don't think about my to-do list. Or, or you're like me, and even if you have a to-do list, uh, you're just ignoring it altogether. Um, maybe, maybe you're the ledger type. Uh, on this side, you have an ever-expanding and growing list of fears in your life. Uh, and on this side, it's, it's an ever-sparse list of joys and things to be thankful about. Um, and if all the lists of daily life uh, aren't enough, uh, there's always the United Nations Climate Change Conference going on right now. Um, and according to NPR, uh, the general summary of the proceedings thus far is panic. Uh, the climate is in trouble. Uh, and speaking of panic, uh, and let me say, uh, I don't necessarily endorse the words of this commentator, uh, but in truly apocalyptic politic, political pundit uh, fashion, this was said this week, outside of the Civil War, World War II, and including 9-11, the election of Trump may be the most cataclysmic event the country's ever seen. It probably wasn't said like that. It was probably said through tears. Uh, and if that wasn't all, uh, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. So uh, 
Yeah, 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 man. Uh, clearly, the alternate reality from Back to the Future 2 has, has come upon us, and we are in the end times. Uh, when, when you and I read end times texts in the scriptures, uh, there's, there's two great temptations that we have. The first is we have this modern illusion, this illusion that we understand this text today, some 2,000 years later, better than the first recipients of this gospel. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is that this text is about something altogether in the future, um, and you're going to have to trust me. I, I, can't, I can't argue those points this morning for the sake of time. But trust me, this text this morning from Luke chapter 21 was just as much for the first recipients, for the first hearers, and, and they understood it well as it is for us today. Not tomorrow, not in a thousand years, but today. Like an everlasting newsflash, our sermon text is able to lift up our eyes this morning it's still able to lift you up above the fray, above all the calamity, all the to-do lists, all the struggles, temptations, and persecutions of our daily lives. And so this morning, uh, let's look to the Word this morning. Uh, open with me to Luke chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible, uh, there's a pew Bible there in front of you. It's on page 880, Luke chapter 21. And just, just so we're all uh, refreshed this morning, it's, it's very important that we understand the text this morning in its context, okay? And so this is in the Gospel of Luke, which is 24 chapters. And the, and the Luke begins with a sweet song from Mary and various other things. But like the other Gospels, it begins with the birth of Jesus. He's baptized, and then he begins his ministry. And in Luke, he starts his ministry in Galilee. The first, the first several chapters of the Gospel are in Galilee. And then right around the middle of the gospel, it says that Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. He's now, he's now directed towards Jerusalem. And those uh, who are, are with him are like, man, why, why are you focusing on Jerusalem? Focus on us. They get all upset about that. But he turns his face to Jerusalem. And he is now, through the rest of the gospel, he is said to be on his way to Jerusalem. And it mentions that several times, that he's on his way up to Jerusalem. And then right before our sermon text... He enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. You guys are really familiar with this. This is what we celebrate coming up to Easter, that our king is here. He's coming, and we lay down the palm branches and all that kind of stuff. And we remember that the king is here. He's, he's ready to take his throne. Okay, and so this is where we're at. We've come into Jerusalem, and now we go, Luke takes us right into the temple, and the first thing that Jesus does is he makes everyone uncomfortable, and he, he flips the thing upside down. He flips all the tables. He says, get out. You guys are all nuts, okay? This is, this is the temple that we're in, and then he begins, he begins to teach and to answer uh, questions and debate with the Sadducees and the scribes, these guys who are uh, rambunctious seminary students who think they know it all. Um, uh, that, this, this is a word for me this morning. Um, Luke chapter 20, this is, this is hilarious. Luke chapter 20 and verse 40 says, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. So uh, Jesus is winning. He's winning the debate. Um, they are floored. And, and then we have, we have this text come upon us in Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5. And, and again, you're just going to you're gonna have to trust me a little bit. I can't bear this out fully this morning. But the whole gospel of Luke, all 24 chapters from the beginning to the very end, it is, it was, it is, and will always be an end times message. 
But don't be confused about that. Don't be confused about this, this label because this everlasting worldview is very much concerned with the normal stuff of our lives. Those things that are right in front of our faces. Those things that we come in, in contact with every day. And look with me at Luke chapter 21 and verse 6. Uh, why do I say that? As for these things that you see. You see, Jesus, he's talking about the things that are right in front of the face of his hearers, the, the actual real stuff. This is not some apocalyptic future thing. This is right in front of their face. Uh, in verse 5, remember, we're reminded we are in the temple, okay? So he's talking about the temple. He's talking about our physical place of worship, the place that we are right now that is right in front of you and I's face this morning. What are some other things? that he has, that he talks about, that are right in front of, and remember, right in front of the first century hearers, these things are right in front of their face too, as well as ours this morning. Uh, in verse 9, we see uh, that there are wars and tumults, uh, international and national conflict. Uh, yep, we have those today too, don't we? Uh, in verse 10, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Democrats against Republicans. Amen? Yeah, uh, we see that today, don't we? There, there is, there is crazy politics uh, now and forevermore. Verse eleven: earthquakes, famines, and pestilences. There's natural calamity and unrest. Verse sixteen: if that weren't all enough, uh, there is conflict with family and friends. Uh, this is the stuff that you and I see right in front of our faces each day. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in one of his, uh, one of my favorite essays that he wrote called Learning in Wartime, he, he said this, Human culture has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. We are mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. You see, all these things that the first Christians saw, and that you and I see every day, this is the stuff of normal life. And this is what end times texts and this discourse for us today is for. It's for us today. It's for the normal stuff of life. And it's still in all this, uh, I think many of our impulses, and it's just like the impulse of the disciples, uh, is to ask this kind of question. Like we see in verse 7. In Luke 21 and verse 7, the disciples, they asked him, they asked him Teacher, when... Will these things be? The disciples say, give us a sign, Lord, so we can look out. So we can start to prepare for all this stuff to take place. Give us a sign so that we can get all our ducks in a row. Why, why do we have this impulse? Like when we start talking about end times text to, you know, God, give us a sign. Tell me when this is going to happen so I can, I can plan. Why, why do we ask this question? Well, the reason the disciples asked it is in verse 6. Jesus says that this temple, this temple where we're standing, is going to come crashing down to the ground. It's going to crumble all around us. And in verse 12, uh, not only will there be national and international political unrest and conflict, but you will be actively pursued and persecuted by the political and religious alike. And uh, if I might say a brief aside, um, I'm, I'm new to this Anglican thing, right? Uh, but one, of the, one of the things that's very attractive about the Anglican church is that the Ang Anglicans are very intellectually sophisticated and socially respectable, right? Uh, and I think those are true things. Those are, those are true and good things. Um, but the gospel 
is ultimately not going to be socially respectable. Um, they, they will come after us. Uh, and in verse 16 and 17, again, if that weren't enough, even your own family and friends will reject you and deliver you up to death. Everything in your life will come crumbling down around you. That's what this text says. And, and, and if, I, if I'm honest with myself, uh, isn't that more or less what normal life feels like sometimes? Doesn't, isn't that what normal life feels like? Uh, what are these things, religion and government and family, um, or as Father Ben would say, uh, God, guns, and girls, uh, what, what are these three things, uh, religion, government, and family, what do they have in common? Uh, well, I, I think that all three are real and physical and actual places that we find security in our lives. John the Baptist and Jesus earlier in the gospel many times tell government employees to be virtuous government employees. Paul writes to Timothy and says to pray for the government so that we can live in peace. The scriptures teach that human governments can bring us peace in life. And we're called to pray for our leaders. Yes, even President Obama. Yes, even President-elect Trump. Government can give us security, gives us security. Our families can also center and they can stabilize our lives, even though, uh, I, I might confess this morning, that it often feels exactly the opposite of that. Family is crazy, especially when they're one and three and five. Uh, it's also a lot of fun, too. Uh, but family can center and stabilize our lives, and family gives us security. And lastly, uh, the setting for this sermon, the temple, the physical structure of our religious life, our pastors, this building around us, our denomination, our nonprofit status, this experience you and I are sharing right here this morning can stabilize our lives. In every century, in every age, in every place on earth, here is the hardest part of the gospel message. Here it is. Our Heavenly Father sovereignly ordains that everything must crumble to the ground around us. What is he doing? What is he doing? John Calvin writes concerning this text, quote, As soon as Christ said that the temple would be destroyed, the disciples' thoughts immediately turned to the end of the world. Are you serious, God? God, if you take this away from me, my life is over. This must be the end of the world. I used to have peace when I thought about my country, but the security blanket that is my homeland keeps slipping off, leaving me cold in the dead of the night. That illustration has a special, <laughs> it really means a lot right now because I'm freezing at night. The covers pull off. Uh, it is cold outside. God, if you take my church, if you take my ministry position, if you take this building, my pre-tax housing allowance, it will destroy my world. God, if my family falls apart, if major illness destroys my normal life, what if they divorce? What if my child dies? 
God, how am I to live as a widow? No parent should ever have to outlive their own child, no matter their age. God, don't destroy my world. If I'm honest this morning, um, I am too easily content with the small tastes of security that all the good things in my life provide. And this is exactly it. This is where the gospel must begin. God, take everything from me, and still I will be satisfied with you alone. Until we learn to receive everything in our lives as gift, then everything will be an idol and will destroy us. If I don't receive my family as a gift, then my bride and my beloved children will destroy me. And as I worship them, it will destroy them as well. Until your security is in Christ alone, then everything in your life will destroy you. The temporal good of the four walls of this church, the blessing of our families, our sense of security and civic authority, the gospel calls us to stop grasping for security for ourselves. Calls us to let it go, to let them die deep down in our souls. But thankfully, the gospel doesn't stop there. The reason... As I said earlier, the reason the whole of Luke's gospel is directed towards Jerusalem is not primarily for this discourse, for this message, for this sermon, for the answer to this question. The reason it's directed to Jerusalem is for the cross. The gospel does not stop at death. Or another way of saying that is the gospel isn't simply about crushing sin and destroying idols. After death comes resurrection. Don't worship the state. Let the false hope that the state gives you crumble to the ground. And then give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Don't worship this awesome church. And this is a very awesome church. Many of you can testify uh, from former experiences in your life. uh, Just from personal experience in this place. This really is an awesome church. This is a really great place to be. um, And I'm glad to be here. Uh, Don't worship this awesome church. Let it die in your heart, and then this place will be a refuge amidst the end times of normal life. And don't worship your family. As, As it says earlier in this gospel, Jesus calls you to hate your father and mother and follow him. Or another way to say that is to put your first hope and allegiance, your security in him to seek first the kingdom of God and then and then because the gospel is true and it doesn't stop at death and then your family will be re- resurrected to life and bring you joy hear the good news this morning uh, look with me at Luke chapter 21 and verse 13 in all of this This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Or as Luke records earlier in the gospel, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. 
Stop stressing out about everything. God will provide you with words. He's going to give you the words to say. God will give you security that you need. He will give you everything you need for today. And down in verse 17, Luke chapter 21, verse 17, you will be hated. You will be detested or rejected. They will turn their face away from you. You will be hated by all for my name's sake because of the name of Jesus Christ, which we bear. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, by your patience, you will gain your lives. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you see everything uh, from the beginning to the end, all with one glance. And you are the sovereign God which we put our hope in this morning. Lord, forgive me uh, for so quickly finding all of my security and my hope in money and in security and in my family. God, in this wonderful country that we live in, God, in your church, in the four walls of this church, this expression and this glimpse of the kingdom of God, Lord, would you help me to find my hope and my security in you? God, would you move upon our hearts and our minds this morning that we would uh, look to you first, God, that we would find our ultimate allegiance and our hope in you, the one who never changes, the one who sees the beginning and the end all together, and you hold it in your hands, God. Would you help us to trust you this morning? Lord, we thank you for the good gifts that come to us in this life, the physical signs of your mercy and grace, the reminders of your safety and security that we see even here in this church this morning. God, we thank you so much for those things. Would you help us to find our hope in you, God, and let all of those things become uh, true goods in our lives. Let them lift us up and give us peace in the midst of the storm of life. And God, I thank you for all this uh, in your name Uh, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of God the Father. Amen.